Become spellweavers, reavers, rogues, and men-at-arms, and answer the call of adventure. Pick up your sword, your axe, your spellbook, your bow, your rulebook, and your dice, and join the forces of good in their eternal fight against vile monsters, conspiring min-maxers, horny bards, and blood-soaked murder hobos. Discover the treasure trove of role-playing games here on Rollin' Bones. My name is Ryan Howard, and I shall be your guide. Let me introduce... Uh, the co-host of the Vintage RPG podcast, the creator of 321 Action. Ladies and gentlemen, boneheads alike, welcome John Hambone McGuire. Welcome back, Hambone. Hey, everybody. Great to be back. Thanks for having me, man. Absolutely. And once again, ladies and gentlemen, because I have the visual aids here, 321 Action is the game that uh, Hambone created. Available for 321 Action, you have Rocket to Russia. And you also have Escape from Point Nemo. And the game that we'll be talking about for the majority of the time tonight, which is currently on Kickstarter for the next uh, 55-ish hours, Children of Uma. Very exciting. Kickstarter is interesting with what they consider to be three days. Um, <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, I, I want to say... I think it's going to end at 10 a.m. on on Thursday. That's that's what I intended, but we'll see. We let the mm-hmm. dice decide. Yep. Yeah, it's it's interesting uh, the the way that they start measuring time. It's uh, yeah. at, a, at a certain point you get down there and it's like uh, I don't know starts counting down hours at like four days left and you're like no i want to see days not not hours but you know yeah it went from like three days to 69 hours like like that you know as a creator you're constantly like (laughs) refresh 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 so Mm -hmm. you know it's it's cool we made our funding goal uh we are i think 38 dollars away from unlocking the first stretch goal Mm mm-hmm so, uh, you know, hopefully we can make that $38 in three days. We'll see. Absolutely. Now, since we haven't been able to actually talk about 321 Action on here, sure. uh, I did review it uh, when it came out, but give everyone just kind of like the elevator pitch for 321 Action and, and, you know, what they can expect from this particular game. Very cool. So 321 Action is a cinematic storytelling RPG where the focus really is on fun and story over physics. The idea here is that you've got a simple roll-under system that runs off a single D10. Everything automatically hits, you're only rolling for damage, and we want to give you the ability to play through any kind of movie or story that you could possibly think of. And you tell the game runner, who is the person who runs the game, what you want to do, and you make it so in just one roll. So say if you are swinging on jungle vines like Pitfall Harry, and there's a bunch of alligators uh, below you, and you blow your roll. So you could either fall, or you could fill the plot hole in two sentences, where I'll ask you, like, you know, you know, why do you think you could pull this acrobatic stunt off and not end up in the alligators? And you'll tell me, you know, I went to like the little tumbling gym when I was a kid and I was the best at jumping from monkey bar to monkey bar. Or you could actually spend your luck points. Now, 
we use luck instead of hit points. And the idea is that you can always push your luck, but don't push too far because you're going to die. So you start out with a, a set number of luck points. If you blow a roll, you can take from your own luck pool to make that roll. You can't use luck to get more uh, damage, but you can use luck to get more ammo if need be. Uh, we also use gut penalties where if you look at luck as the things that will cause you to bleed guts or for things where you twist your ankle, you roll your knee, you got a bad hangover one day, guts are your bodily things, but we give you the opportunity to play a story the way you want to play a story and you're not beholden to the rules of physics because really you're playing through an action movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at, I I love the simplicity of explain the plot hole in two sentences. That that's one of my favorite things about three two one action is, you know, if you can give me a concise explanation that makes sense as it enters my ears, then you know by all means, yes, you can do it. Even if it doesn't make sense, if you make me laugh, I'm gonna let you do it. You know. When we came up with this, I'm the co-creator. George uh, Gio Colazzo is the co-creator and the co-writer of all these adventures with me. The fill the plot hole in two sentences really came from a seminar that, you know, when I was still drinking, I was day drunk at Gen Con. And there was a, a writer, speaker, who I, I remember nothing. I couldn't even tell you who it was who said it. It was an amorphous blob far away on the stage. However... You know, they said in writing, most plot holes can be filled in two sentences. Like, you know, the difference between you walking out of a movie and being like, man, that sucked because this happened, but there was no setup for this. Or walking out of a movie and go, well, yeah, he just said, like, that's why this happened. And you're like, oh, good enough for me. And so we adopted that for tabletop RPGs. And, you know, one of the things that I learned during the pandemic was hanging out with my goddaughter. You know, I tell the story a lot, but it's it's true. You know, you watch a toddler enjoying like educational television. One of the things that you realize is most people can count to 10. It seems like a broad generalization, but most people can count to 10 and do simple addition or subtraction. So it's based off a single D10. You roll under your stat. A penalty or a bonus is either going to be a one, two or three plus or minus either way to the roll. And you take it from there. And that's that's how we like to keep it simple in three to one action. Absolutely. Fun fact, that writer's name, Stu Horvath. And all this time he's been afraid to tell you. Oh my god. If it was Stu the whole time, <laughs> I will like I'll be losing my my absolute shit. Like the mask comes off. It was me all along. <laughs> it was me, Hambo. It was me. <laughs> I could I could see Stu keeping that under his hat just for for all this time. That seems like a very Stu thing to do. You know what? He he plays things so close to the best. Like I I know the inside baseball because mm-hmm. we do a vintage RPG podcast together. However, like you know, out of nowhere, he'd be like, "Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm pitching this book around." You're like, "When did you wrote a book?" Uh, <laughs> This time, like, he's been a lot more forthcoming about writing books and stuff like that. But uh, he's a mysterious man. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the things I, I I love about him the most and I find the most appealing about him is that, like, we can be friends for all these years. And we, we know a lot of the inside baseball, but, like, there's always times when he'll still surprise me. Mm-hmm. It's like that one episode of uh, The Goldbergs that was dedicated, the A-plot was dedicated to 
Murray just randomly dropping details about his life that his kids had never heard before. Yeah, yeah. And out of nowhere, like, but you didn't. He's like, I thought I told you that. I'm like, no, <laughs> you've never told us this story. Yeah, I mean, that's 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 kind of what it's like. Stu and I worked at a record store together. Uh, so we both live in the, the town of Kearney. Um, I live closer to Kearney Ave. He lives a little further towards uh, Schuyler Ave. But we both worked at a record store together uh, for, for a while. Um, a place called St. Mark's Records. Uh, and our, our friend Bobby, uh, who we miss dearly, he, he owned the place. He ran the place. But Stu worked like the first shift. I worked the second shift. I'd come off of like a food delivery job. And I'd worked there before I went to work at the bar I was working. And I was a musician. I had like four jobs. And uh, Stu at the time had like the long the long trench coat on. He had long <laughs> hair. He had glasses. Yes, yeah, Stu had long hair. He had glasses, <laughs> like the, the, the round sunglasses. Like, you know, when he tells you like one of his favorite bands is Sisters of Mercy, you believe him because you would have taken one look at Stu in like the early like 2000s or like that dude like Sister of Mercy. But he'd be leaving. And for the longest time, there was always this muscle car parked around the block from the record store. And mm-hmm. it would, you know, he'd walk around the corner and when I'd get out, like it would be gone. So in my brain, I correlated like, all right, this dude is driving like this badass old muscle car to the record store when he only lives like a few blocks away. I was like, that's so tough. And then years, <laughs> years later into our friendship, I, I, I was retelling the story. He goes, I've never owned that muscle car. And I was like, God, I wish you'd never told me that. <laughs> You know, but he he went from, you know, looking like a dude who listens to Sisters of Mercy to looking like a writer, which is a very like, I think, a good look because it doesn't take a lot of work to kind of get there. You know, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, he's 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 doing great. His book is coming out from MIT Press. Um, I don't not remember the title of it because it's it's not a great title. It's an awesome title. Don't remember the title of it because on the Vintage RPG podcast, since he announced the book, um, I've been referring to it as tentatively titled Experience Points because that was the original title. So I, I just I can't I don't have the mental bandwidth to move that over to put the new title in. But yeah, he's got a book coming out from uh, MIT Press. Uh, it's going to be awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and he and I have talked about it, and and when he's ready to do press for the book and when it's coming out, he will bring Stu back on. And we're probably also going to talk more about Chaosium when he comes on, because I I didn't... Well, I knew what would happen is I bring Stu on to talk about Chaosium. He's going to talk about some Chaosium. Yeah. I didn't realize how in the weeds we could get, though. So there's, like, whole games we didn't even cover when he was on. Yeah, so uh, I I didn't even know what a Chaosium was when (laughs) I met Stu. Like, I knew what Dungeons & Dragons was. This is, like... This predates my time in RPGs. Like everyone knew what Dungeons and Dragons was. I watched the cartoon and like I, I know what dice were, but like for the life of me, you know, had I known, our conversations would have taken a very different turn back in the day, man. We would have mm-hmm. like I would have play, I would have been playing D D a lot sooner. I didn't play start start into RPGs since I was twenty-five. But when I, we were working at the record store, I was like twenty-two, maybe twenty-three. I would have mm-hmm. loved to have gotten in that early. Absolutely. Now with this uh, this Kickstarter that you have going on, Children of Uma, uh, just looking at the art, you can tell it's it's got that kind of road warrior vibe to it. So I'm going to ask you, what kind of are your inspirations for Children of Uma? What what is it that uh, that really spoke to you, pop culturally speaking, that inspired Children of Uma? 
So it's funny. Uh, the way it worked out was this. You know, Point Nemo was my, like, inception into wanting to write. Uh, you know, uh, George's wife, Jen, had told me the story about Point Nemo one day. And I was like, this is great. Uh, someone should write, I wish someone would write a comic. This is awesome. She said, you should write. Just, just write the book handbook. And so I started writing it. And that's how the RPG came up. And then Geo got on board. You know, we changed the rules up a bit. And his his ideas for the rules were just amazing. His ideas where we were, decided to take Point Nemo and Rocket to Russia were fantastic. And so we started working on horror. We had, we had the bones of the horror game. We had, like, the big villain. We had the reveal. All the stuff. It was all there. Midway through the first episode, he hits me up. And he's like, hey, buddy. Uh, I want to write a, a apocalyptic car RPG. And I was like, okay, well, get sad after horror. He's like, no, I want to do it now. And he's <laughs> like, what do you think about changing it up? And I was like, yeah, man, if that's what you're feeling, that's what we're doing. So, you know, we both grew up loving Mad Max. We both grew up loving the Warriors and movies like, you know, movies about like gangs and bands and stuff like that. Streets of Fire, all, you know, wild stuff. So... You know, he had this idea to put together the story about it's 2060 Kansas. It's the future. It's America. So everything runs on electric or carbon plus. Um, there's, you know, you're in a place where you're never going to run out of bullets because America will never run out of bullets. Uh, so you don't have to worry about like resources and like, am I going to have enough ammo? So we wanted to do the post apocalypse a little different. You know, it's a, a futuristic dust bowl. And most of the people who are surviving in these areas are kids, they're teenagers. Everyone's trying to get by, everyone's trying to do their thing. So you're all bands. You know, whatever group you're in, whether you're the Death Point Raiders, the Blue Dragons, the Hellsings, who are the main band in the story, you're all bands. Because, you know, calling them gangs, even though we did take a lot of influence from the Warriors, it really does connotate something different. Uh, but a band is a group of people who do stuff together, like Robin Hood, the Band of Merry Men. So. Mm -hmm. It's it's a little more freeing to do it and call them bands. And so in the Wasteland, you know, you have all your different types of vehicles. And and when George was like, I want to do a, an honest-to-God vehicle battle RPG, we put our heads together and we came up rules for using vehicles, which is kind of a, a weird pivot, I think, from going from uh, a traditional tabletop RPG where you're like, I'm going to run and I'm going to do this, and maybe I'll drive a car here and there to you're predominantly driving cars in this thing. So we came out with a set of rules. Uh, and you know what? If you're watching this now and you're curious about 321 Action, if you go to 321actiongames.com, you could download the rule set for free. we got a free rule set of drive through RPG as well. We always want the rules to be free. We always want people to have the opportunity to play the game. And the rule set is pretty seamless. This stacks right on top of it. Because our goal with anything that we do is to not make you have to learn a bunch of extra rules when you're already comfortable playing a game. So this is, I think, depending on how it gets laid out, a page and a half, maybe two pages of additional car rules that just rest nicely on top of the rules as they are already. And then, you know, that's it. You're going to be spending most of the time in the vehicles. There's some stealth on your feet missions. There's some really weird, surprising stuff that's going to pop up later. But, you know, we wanted to not limit ourselves because mm -hmm. you know george's like what about monster trucks throw them in you know the only thing that we couldn't get in because you are landlocked in the middle of a dust bowl is water vehicles and we found a workaround for that because if we reach 8k which is just 32 dollars away currently 
um, you unlock another adventure called Mini Submania, where you're the Helsings chapter of the Waikiki chapter of the Helsings, and you've got <laughs> four aquatic vehicles, uh, and you get to fight some weird stuff under the water uh, off of Hawaii. Nice. So, you know, you got air vehicles, you got monster trucks, you got lots of different ground vehicles, some really interesting twists on some vehicles that you're familiar with, like school buses and stuff like that. And what I think is a really compelling story uh, that that runs, I think, six, we call them episodes, um, instead of, you have like three or four encounters in an episode, so there's six episodes in total. So it's it's a full-length book. Gotcha. Now, over the course of answering that question, you uh, you mentioned Streets of Fire. So I have to ask... Uh, when it comes to the uh, the film work of one Michael Paré, uh, do, do you prefer Streets of Fire or Eddie and the Cruisers? Wh- which one? I know those are weird movies to compare to each other, but uh, wh- which one do you find more entertaining? So it's interesting because in New Jersey, I grew up because it's about a, a band at the Jersey Shore. So Eddie and the Cruisers is in my blood. It's a part of my DNA. Uh, you know, Streets of Fire, I found out about later because, you know, remember pre-internet, like you had the video store and Streets of Fire was a bomb for all intents and purposes. Like mm-hmm. it was supposed to be a trilogy where Michael Pere was going to play Tom Cody for like three films, but it performed so poorly and there was no Netflix or anything to pick it up and run with it because it's a cult classic that it got buried. So I didn't hear about it until later and I had only heard about it because of the warriors, which is another Walter Hill movie. Um, mm-hmm. So I, in my, in my head canon, uh, streets of fire happens after Eddie fakes his death and just needs to get away. And, <laughs> you know, like in, in my brain, like Eddie is, is also Tom Cody. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I love them for different reasons. I mean, the, the soundtrack to by John Caffrey and the Beaver Brown band, for Eddie and the Cruisers, it's, it's timeless. It really is. And it's like a, a a knockoff of a lot of other songs you already know and love, but it's it's just so perfect. But then, like, uh, Streets of Fire is, like, so cool and stylized. With, in my humble opinion, one of the best posters for a movie ever. So, uh, you know what? i, I got to say it's a foot race. Depending on the day you ask me, I might change my answer, but today I'm going to say Streets of Fire. Gotcha. Gotcha. See, and and I didn't even think about that when I asked the question. Uh, having never even been to New Jersey in my life, I didn't even think about the connection there. Yeah. Uh, but yes, Eddie and the Cruisers is so like intrinsically tied to New Jersey itself and like the Jersey Shore uh, bar band scene. Yeah. It's interesting because it's a generation, a generational thing. Hmm really look at my generation you know I, I grew up in the late 80s early 90s like i really came into my own in the early 2000s like if you were didn't grow up in like the the mid to late 80s early 90s like by the 2000s no one knew what eddie and the cruisers was like around here it was like it was a ghost in the snow it was gone uh mm-hmm. but you know i'm hoping that like one day it hits netflix and everyone's like oh my god this is something special, but yeah, I mean, you, you really have to be like mid to late 80s to like 1999 is probably the cutoff for people who've heard of Eddie and the Cruisers in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. 
I only my my dad for some reason wanted me to to watch that movie with him one time. And again, he also is not from New Jersey, but uh, yeah, it, it's one of those really magical movies. And I think people don't realize that song you occasionally hear on classic rock stations on the dark side. It's from that yeah. movie. So yeah, and people think it's like a different different artists, you know, mm-hmm. like somewhere somewhere out there, John Cafferty is like. Still grateful for those royalty checks. So good on him. Absolutely. No, the the car combat aspect of Children of Uma with a hard snap away from Eddie and the Cruisers and back to the the game at hand here. uh, It's a really like you said, it's an interesting thing, because off the top of my head, the only vehicle combat RPGs that come to mind are things like Lancer, which is more mechs than than anything else. So yeah. I do feel like this kind of, you know, fits a... Oh, Car Wars, as, uh, as Gregory's mentioned here in chat. Car Wars as well. But I feel like this fits very nicely into a, uh, you know, a, a void that people are feeling. And when when you think about it, car rules and vehicle rules in general become very essential when you have any kind of RPG that you hope to set in like modern times, which is why, you know, Savage Worlds dedicates a whole bunch of its pages to car rules and why the James Bond RPG, which is very near and dear to my heart, has such extensive chase mechanics. So seeing this for three, two, one action, I'm excited to see how it fits kind of within the uh, the simple, uh, easy to pick up, easy to understand rule set of three, two, one action. Well, I've never played car wars. I think mm-hmm. geo had when he was younger, cause geo got into RPGs, you know, he's an OG. Like he mm-hmm. got in there like a, years before I did. He's been playing since he was in like, you know, grammar school, junior high. Uh, so I never, never had the pleasure of playing car wars. You know, I've only heard great things from people who love the game, you know, because you have to also imagine at the time there wasn't a ton of different RPGs out there and it wasn't like, you know, you're into this or you're into this. Like you couldn't just like click on the link and download a PDF and like try it out. Like you, you're investing in something. So, you know, people who I know who love it will swear by it and they will always try to get you to play it with them, which I think is awesome. And it speaks a lot to the awesomeness of Car Wars. With this, like everything else, you know, we wanted people to just lose themselves in the game. The highest compliment that I've gotten so far about Children of Uma is that people feel like they are racing in cars and like the adventure just doesn't stop. The action doesn't stop because basically, like, say if you're riding a dirt bike and there's an 18 wheeler ahead of you. So you tell the game runner, well, you know, I have a handgun that's not getting anywhere. I want to race up to the side of the 18 wheeler. I want to kick off my bike and have it like roll under the back and try to like blow out the back tires to stop this thing. Okay. Make an action check. So in that instance, I'd be like, well, that's going to be kind of crazy. Make an action check um, plus two or fill a pothole in two sentences. Tell me why uh, you feel like you can just, you know, do this mid-air somersault and land like superstar and like not worry about like breaking your ankles. And they'll be like, well, you know, when I was a kid, uh, I kept jumping off a fence, running away from a gas station we used to throw eggs at. 
So I got really good at not rolling my ankles when I escape. All right, well, just give me a straight action check then. So it's it's stuff like that. And then, you know, ideally, when you're in the cars, you there's no armor in 3-2-1 action. You know, there's there's no no concept of armor because it's just you're just out and about. You're doing your thing. However, if, say, if you have a flak jacket, it'll give you extra luck points. Or if you have, like, your lucky rabbit's foot, it'll give you a few extra luck points. Um, the car takes all the damage when you are in Children of Uma. If you're in a vehicle, even if you're on a motorcycle, the damage will always go to the vehicle before it hits you. If you are outside of your vehicle or standing next to the vehicle, you are completely vulnerable and can't get your ass kicked. So, you know, we want people to have the experience of being in a high-speed chase. We want people to have the experience of trying to outrace a bad guy or have the experience of, I'm flying in this glider because there are airborne vehicles and my friends aren't getting anywhere with this big SUV, I am just going to crash into the back of it and see what we can do. And that happens in almost every game. Someone in the glider is like, well, I've taken enough damage. I'm just going to, I'm going to land it where it's going to land. And we're going to take it from there. But, you know, every vehicle has different kind of weapons either built into it, or you can upgrade and customize your vehicle. So, you know, in the first adventure, episode one, you're chasing a convoy with just the vehicles that you have, which, you know, the doom buggy has a harpoon gun on it. Uh, the other thing, other one of the other vehicles has front facing guns. The ATV has a, a rack mounted around it. That's a chainsaw. So you could actually be like a rolling chainsaw. But after that, you go back to your headquarters, you could trade out vehicles. You could even, once you unlock, get past certain scenes. We have, we call it's essentially an unlockable. So you start with six playable characters. Uh, as you go through the game and you get past certain scenes, you can now just swap out. So if you start as dog and you get to the headquarters and you're changing out vehicles, you can say, you know what? I'm going to play as Fox now. And that's what the Hellsings are. The Hellsings are a band of kids and teenagers. Uh, all their motorcycle helmets have uh, adornments on them that make them look like specific animals because they're a pack of wild animals roaming through the wasteland. So uh, every member of the Hellsings has a one-word name of an animal. So like the leader's croc. You know, we have a bat, we have a cat, uh, we have a bear and a cub who are, you know, a mother and a son. So, you know, it's you're not tied into the same person you go to the dance with uh, in Children of Uma. Now, I ask this next question because I know that you are a huge music guy as well as an RPG guy, and, and same here. So when you are playing Children of Uma, what bands are playing in your head, or would you play at your table running this game? So it's interesting, because part of me just wants to say it's all Motorhead. But, <laughs> uh, you know, Gio and I went back and forth on this. And, like, you know, the beauty of having... Um, a partner in this is that it's not just me creating it's it's, mm -hmm. Gio. it's me and geo and i'm like hey you know this is this is your story idea what do you want the soundtrack of children of uma to be like what do you hear in your head i'm gonna i'm gonna read you uh some of the songs that he picked out for the soundtrack of children of uma and so it's it's pretty wide ranging so like you know woody guthrie because you're the dust bowl, dust bowl uh queens of the stone age Telf, uh, Ennio Morcone, Bob Seeger and the Silver Bullet Band, Guar, um, Maximum the Harmone, Kansas Clutch. Uh, you know, it's 
it's not necessarily what you think because remember we're doing it's, it's a cinematic story so it's not just you know one kind or one style of band but for me it's all motorhead it's all you know when i'm <laughs> When we're when we're racing and we're trying to like have these vehicle battles, that's all I hear is Motorhead. Mm-hmm. I'll be honest. The first thing that came to mind uh, w- when I was formulating this question was, uh, "We are the Road Crew." <laughs> but it. now, now that you've said uh, Queens of the Stone Age, having listened front to back uh, to Songs for the Deaf several times, and and in a previous life doing a whole podcast on it, uh, that whole album could fit in with, with this setting. Oh yeah. Oh dude, hands down. I mean, my version of the soundtrack was, uh, which I, I've been meaning to put together, but it's, it's motorhead. Uh, my Queens of the stone age would be a uh, feel good hit of the summer, you know, mm-hmm. nicotine value and fucking din, you know, like that, that driving this to it, uh, the dwarves I had on my, well, this, this soundtrack that I sketched out, um, more motorhead, you know, I had, I had a lot, I had a lot of like fun ideas for it and stuff, but all really fast, you know, fast paced. but you know, second episode, you go on a stealth mission. So you're actually on foot behind enemy lines. So it does change up. And one of the things that was important to us is that every episode doesn't feel like the one before it. So the first one, uh, and I'll give some spoilers here. Uh, first one, you are in a high speed chase, chasing down a convoy because you think they have supplies. Second one, you are episode two, you're on foot, infiltrating an enemy band's territory, trying to steal a supply truck. Third one, one of your people gets captured. You have to go into an arena and fight monster trucks. Essentially, it's it's monster jam. Mm-hmm. Uh, but with like vehicles with weapons. Uh fourth episode, um someone steals your stuff and you gotta get it back in, in, in a city environment now. You're you're out of the actual the planes, now you're in the cities. And then um the next one is uh I'm not gonna go that far, but yeah. It, it's different. Even even that one is different. That's just a jailbreak, but whatever. Um and then you have the big finish. So each you're not going to be like, oh, we've done this already. Like every episode feels different. Every episode is a different vibe. And you get to not just like have the vehicles that you have, which are customizable. One of the cool things that we wanted to get across in Children of Uma is that you can steal any vehicle. You can commandeer any vehicle. Like you are racing down the street and the person next to you has a vehicle that's not just cooler than your vehicle. It is more deadly than your vehicle. You can make an action. Check plus three, which is that essentially the highest check that you can make to dive over to their vehicle. And then on the next turn, you have to fight that person to get control of their vehicle. So you are not beholden to just the vehicles you start with. I mean, there's tanks. There is uh, like a bomber plane. There is, you know, different kinds of dirt bikes, ATVs, sports utility vehicles. So as of this conversation, uh, not including the sub that we had like drawn so people could see what mini submania could look like. Uh, there are 25 plus playable vehicles in children of Uma. And that's part of the reason why the budget's so high is because, you know, a third of the budget is going to getting these vehicles drawn by Tim Burns. Um, because when we're telling you, you've got a vehicle battle RPG, we don't want to just be like, well, you have seven vehicles to choose from. Good luck. It's like, no, you can steal any vehicle in this game so there's got i mean i think there might be like 
30 all said and done maybe nice but like you you can't walk into children's room and be like yeah but like they're not going to have a vehicle that i want to drive there's armored 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 vehicles like world war ii style or like the 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 little they're not tanks but they're all they're fully armored vehicles that like the cops used to like bust into stuff with like mm-hmm. anything goes man nice yeah those of you who are gearheads out here this uh this should be speaking your language um yeah and, don't quote me on any of the specs like <laughs> you'll see next to every vehicle there's like a height a width uh, a, a weight. It's all approximate. It's just to give you an idea of what you're doing with. But like, I do research, but don't do research. You know, <laughs> absolutely. And it's not like it's that kind of game. I mean, there there are games that can get super super crunchy in that regard. I think uh, the the game that I mentioned earlier, Lancer, I I think gets pretty crunchy uh, yeah. in in that realm of like what specifically you've got you know attached to your your vehicle and i know uh the like the james bond game can get kind of uh intense with all the different stats that cars have uh but with with a game that's this focused on uh you know get to the action uh don't bore us get to the chorus kind of thing that that doesn't surprise me you know i that's awesome i'm definitely gonna use that don't bore us get to the chorus that's like that is so perfect my god that's so perfect you know a lot of what three two action is all about is the broad strokes, you know. The nuance comes from the players. Like when I'm telling you how big something is, I just want you to know how big the room is, or like I just want you to be like, oh, so that is like a lot bigger than my motorcycle, or this car is a lot smaller than that car. But that's that's really all it is. Like the the real magic from action comes from the players, and all we've ever tried to do is create an environment for them to just play and have fun with it. You know, every playtest that I've had, people are like, this sounds ridiculous, but I want to do this. Okay, we'll figure it out. Let the dice decide. It's not a it's not a big deal. You know, I think that there's no real wrong way to play games. Like, there are people out there who love nuance. They love crunch. They love a lot of math. And that's great because there are games out there for people who are into that stuff. There's people who are like, I've never played a game before, but, like, that looks like fun. Let me try that. And then there's games that people like that too. Like there's no wrong way to play. There's no wrong addition of like Dungeons and Dragons or like whatever you're into. It's like find people to play with, have fun. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Now, uh, this might be a hard question to answer because now that I think about it, I'm having trouble formulating an opinion here. Uh, but since we're both wrestling fans, I got to throw at least one of these questions out there. Uh, when it comes to commandeering a vehicle in the world of Children of Uma, uh, what wrestling finisher do you think is most effective in uh, in getting someone to turn over the wheel? So the other night, I had someone do a missile drop kick through like the back window at an angle of like a truck because you know how, like trucks they have like the big back window get a little slider in there and they came in and they they kind of ran into like the full missile drop kick that like yeeted the dude right out of there at the same time. <laughs> Um, it's hard because if you're like, you know, you're trying to get on a motorcycle, mm-hmm. you could super kick someone off a motorcycle, like yeah. hanging on a car, like super kick person going off the motorcycle. Uh, a lot of wrestling moves require you though, to be attached to the person you're doing it with. Yeah. So like even 
like say a rough rider um you're 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 going off the going off the edge with that person um i think maybe like uh a hammerlock you know to get someone kind of like uncomfortable and kind of working their way out the door. So like if you come through the passenger side, you grab the person's arm, you twist it into a hammer lock. You're kind of like, they're kind of arching their back because the, the hand for those listening and watching at home who may not know what the hammer lock is, is a wrestling move. You're going to get the arm behind there. You're going to be popping it up and under. So I think the hammer lock would be an effective one. Missile drop kick. If you can get a hit the right way. Um, yeah, but most wrestling moves require you to be attached, and that's a problem. Super kick if you're on a motorcycle. Um, not gonna think about that more because it's got to be one. Because everything like I'm thinking about, like it just it doesn't benefit you. I think maybe um, if you are on a raised platform, and you know it's kind of like a like a, a ship wheel kind of thing. You could grab someone, you could put them in a a suplex and just dump them over the side or body slam them over the side. But yeah, my answer definitively is hammerlock in a car style vehicle, uh super kick on a motorcycle vehicle. Gotcha. One that came to mind, I imagine with a lot of these, uh, a lot of these vehicles, there's going to be someone on the back of a truck or in a turret with a yeah. machine gun. And yeah. in, in that case, I would, uh, have my character break out my favorite wrestling move of all time, the Enziguri. Oh, the Enziguri would be great in a situation like that. Um, or, uh, yeah, Enziguri would be great, great in a situation like that. Um, <clears throat> or if you get the person the right way, Alabama slam them off yep. the edge would be another good one. Mm-hmm. And again, for for those of you out there who are not wrestling fans, the Enziguri is basically a jump kick to the head. Yeah. Is is the best way to describe it. Uh, And it's my favorite because it's just, it's so crisp. It's so cool to see one done correctly. Uh, If you want to see a great example of someone doing an Enziguri, just just go on YouTube and uh, type in Seth Rollins Enziguri and, and you'll see it. Or you could go back to the OGs and uh, see Bad News Brown do uh, what he called the Ghetto Blaster in the 80s. Perfect, Enziguri. Yeah, I mean, also, like, say if you're you're fighting on the rooftop of a bus and you slide in, like, an RKO out of nowhere, yeah. I'll allow it. <laughs> because I'm, I'm just going to say the other person up there that you hit it is going to sell for you. They're going to bounce. They're going to, you know, flop like a fish off the side. It's not a big deal. Definitely. Oh, Definitely. That's a great question. Tough question. I love it. Mm-hmm. So once Children of Uma is out, at that point, are you guys going to go back to the uh, the horror game that you were working on? Or, or you know, wh- where would you like to go next with 3 2 yeah. action? Uh, definitely going back to horror. Horror is the fall. So I made Chio promise, like, we're going back to horror. He said, we're going back to horror. <laughs> um, so, you know, one of the things that he and I talked about was we want to make sure that when we, we put out something, we continue to put out things to support that style of game and not just like be like a one and done kind of thing. So you had Rock to Russia and Point Nemo, which is essentially the prequel and the main story. Um, 
we did Kevin Saves Christmas. Now, here's a fun little little bit of little tidbit that we haven't talked about, but uh, Kevin Saves Christmas is something that we did as a PDF for everyone who backed us on our first year. Uh, we just gave it to you. We pro- we, we produced a full color PDF. Um, which is a Christmas adventure that takes place on the island of Point Nemo. Um, and we just gave it away to everyone. The only way you got it is if you backed us in the first year. So this year, we're actually going to tweak a couple things and actually sell it. So Kevin Save Christmas will be out probably around Christmas. Um, but, you know, with that and with Children of Uma, we've supported the action title. Um, mm-hmm. And horror, we got the story. We have the story. We have... Geo's got a story and I've got a story. Um, Geo's story is the one we had really flushed out. And then we're going to be doing that one for the Kickstarter. My story um, needs more work. However, one of the things we started doing, a uh, friend of the show, I know Levi Combs, uh, Planet X Games. Uh, I love that guy. If you're watching, Levi, love you, man. Uh he posted on Twitter, out of the blue, these old pamphlet games that he made. And, you know, we've only written like 100-page games. And I was like, oh, man, I could never do something like that. And I was like, no, I can do that. I wrote a book. I can figure this out. So, you know, as promotional material, we started writing pamphlet adventures. So, like, when I went to GaryCon, I had a pamphlet. Uh, it was called Grounded for Life, which is the epilogue. And you got it right there too, right? You got the pamphlet. Yep. Perfect. Yeah, it's the epilogue to Point Nemo. It's you. It's a solo play adventure where you get to break your grandmother out of the nursing home for one last adventure. <laughs> so, for Children of Uma, where you're also besides getting Children of Uma, you're also going to get the pamphlet adventure eQuest, which we did, where it's a solo play adventure. You play Moose, one of the Helsings in Switzerland. Uh, near the Wispel Mountain, and you are being chased. And this is the thing. Uh, Uma is a mutagen, essentially. It's the ultimate military adrenalizer. Uh, I got the idea from Pulp Fiction, where, like, you know, Uma Thurman is dying from an overdose, and Josh was like, say something, say something! He jabs into her, stop dang! And she gets by the <laughs> shot to the heart. So I modified that for Children of Uma, and so that's why it's Uma. But I had to figure out an acronym, ultimate military adrenalizer. Um, but it could mutate you. So you're being chased by mutant yetis um, <laughs> in Ski Quest. So with horror, I am not going to tell you the name of the adventure because mm-hmm. it's something that uh, I wanted to kind of be a surprise. But the horror story that I am going to write, I made a solo play adventure. It's done. Um, Cheese Hasselberger, who like is an awesome dude who's done a ton of work for Levi. He's, he's, he works with us all the time. He's like one of my favorite people in the world. He plays in my Monday night DCC game. He's like a killer artist and he's a killer layout guy. So he's laid out all these solo play adventures. So the third one, third pamphlet is a horror adventure. Um, and you'll get that when we kickstart uh three, two, one horror, or maybe before we'll get bored. We'll probably release it, but, um, but horror is next. And we have another dude who wants to write for us. Uh, we want him to write for us, and he's got a, a horror idea as well. So we're we're just trying to wrap our heads around it. But you know, even with that, maybe like an extra page of rules that are specifically for the horror gimmick. But like, hmm. if you know how to play action, you could drop in the horror game. And you're like, okay, I need to know this and this done. Hmm. 
Now, when it comes to the the stories that you and uh, and Geo are are writing right now, without giving too much away, uh, what genre of horror are each of you going for? Is this like slasher, cosmic, uh, paranormal? You know, what what are we talking about here? Um. So, <clears throat> without giving too much away, mine is haunting. Mine's more haunting. Mm-hmm. Uh, is is more like physical monster. Gotcha. That that is going to be uh, the you know the main reason that they're there in the story. Uh, our buddy who we're hoping to get uh, working on something is is slasher um, because there's there's so like it's horror man. There's so many different types of horror, but uh, the first three um, first three things that we're working on is uh, haunting monster slasher, and I wrote. And we're just, he and I are, are kind of going back and forth on it a little bit, trying to refine it. But uh, zombie survival rules. I wrote zombie survival rules, mm-hmm. uh, which is, it's, it's that, that sweet spot between horror and action. But, uh, you know, I, I had to figure out like what the gimmick was and how that would work, how it works if you get bitten, turning, this, that, and the other thing. So we're just going back and forth on that. The zombie rules might be a pamphlet. Um, with just like bonus rules or like a quick little solo adventure and like so you get to understand it. Um, my partner Sally, she uh, she's really big on the idea of a western. So we're gonna get to westerns eventually. I I actually I've got the quick draw rules all written up and we GM and I went back and forth on that and we we've we've settled on the quick draw rules. Now it's just the zombie rules were a little a little shaky on, but we gotta figure that out. Mm-hmm. What Western is very near and dear to my heart as well. Yeah. So uh, I, I'm looking forward to three, two, one draw or w- whatever you guys yeah. end up going with on that one. Yeah. You know, it, you know, I love Westerns. I love it. Mm-hmm. And I sat there like, I don't know how long it's been since you've seen Tombstone, but uh, about a couple months back, I was like looking for something to watch. And it was on one of the streamers I was on. I was like, well, this is my night. And I just sat on that couch, and I just, I just loved it. And uh, you know, in my brain, it's not so much because I'm sure, like every Western game has quick draw rules. Mm-hmm. Um, and not saying one is better than any of the others, but it's, it's more about which is what we're finding: finding ways to make rules that work with the rule set that you have already, because mm-hmm. it's, it's everything's got to fit. So you know, we we figured that out. Western Western actually wasn't that bad. Uh, zombie, it's like there's a couple there's a couple little a couple of things that are still on the board where we gotta figure out the move. But I feel good about it, and I love it. I get to make games with my best friend. I get to like tell the stories I've always wanted to tell, and like you know people actually play it and enjoy it. So win, absolutely. Yeah, I imagine with zombies, uh, one of the big challenges would end up being, you know, just dealing with a large amount of uh, opponents at a single time. Yes and no. Yes, because it's not necessarily you have to worry about so much math. Because at a certain point, like say the average player will have 24 luck points, right? Mm. The cool thing with luck points is, like, you know, at the end of every episode, you roll a D10 and you get that many luck points back, right? So say if you started, you had 24 luck points. Say if you only lost two luck points. 
But then at the end of the episode, you roll a D10, you roll a 10. Well, now you have 32 luck points. There's no max to luck points because you can just keep getting luckier and luckier and luckier and luckier. I've had players get through entire games and they started with like 23 luck points and they ended up with 41. Like you can find ways around that. Um, But if you get hit with a swarm of zombies and each one is doing potentially six points of damage to you and you're swarmed, you're going to have to make a brawn check to try to break free or an action check, depending on the situation. Mm. And if you fail that, you're just going to keep getting eaten. And it's not necessarily like, oh, one thing is biting me. You've got 12 things biting you. And in those 12 things biting you, you might not make it out. Um, But that's where the respawn rules come in. Like if you get bit, you might not stay dead long. Uh, and so, you know, we get, we have a couple, couple things with that, but you know, the idea is keeping it streamlined enough. Like, you know, it, I, do you watch the walking dead at all? Have you, you yeah, know, I've, the, I've seen a good bit of the walking dead, but you know, there's, there's points where like you see a person seemingly kind of get buried by the zombies, but mm-hmm. they manage to kind of like GI crawl their way out of it and like escape. And you're like, well, how the, how the hell did that happen? And you know, again, it's, it's story and fun over physics, but like, if you think about it, like if these, these doofs are all falling over each other trying to bite you. Like it probably might be harder to bite you than you think because it's like the world's worst game of Twister, and you're just like, oh, I'm gonna get out of here. Um, but yeah, we'll we'll figure it out. We just have a, you know, we get we gotta just swing back around to that once we finish the Kickstarter. But yeah, I love the idea of putting out the things, and then you know, at the end of the year, maybe we'll make a compilation that we'll hook people up with of all the, the pamphlets. But like you know, in order so you could read them yeah like on a computer (laughs) now another question i have about three two one action uh because again last time you were on we talked about a really bad wrestling game yeah Uh, do you think three two one action would work well for some kind of e-fed uh wrestling simulation type gameplay i don't know I will tell you there are two types of games mm-hmm. that I think are going to be the hardest to do for 3 2 one action. One, you know, there's worldwide wrestling, um, which is, I, I, in my humble opinion, a perfect wrestling game. Um, mm-hmm. I, I know he just did uh, another one. He did a volume two of it or whatever. Um, Dick DiPaoletto, uh great, great great game you could find it online it is a perfect wrestling game because he also like goes through all the terminology and stuff like so if you're not really understanding what kayfabe is he's got a whole page on it and you'd be like oh i get it now or like you know giving someone the rub the iggy going home like it's it's a game like that already exists yeah so i don't know that we would have something that we could bring to the party that would would work also because you know, I think he does that powered by the apocalypse. Like, so, I mean, it, it can be done, but like with something that is that like awesome and perfect already exists. And I don't really have a, a strong idea on how to make it work. I probably wouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's not, not saying like, it, it's not on my own oh, massive wrestling fans. Of course it's on my mind, but like, you know, I don't know. The other one <clears throat> that I think is hard to tackle is a mystery game. Mm-hmm. Uh, because our games are very cinematic. When you are in any kind of action adventure, 
that we write, you know, there are NPCs that are, you are essentially playing in the movie with them, you know? So in like Rocket to Russia, you had Stephen Yuri, Scorpion and Dagnasty. In Point Nemo, you had Alexis, Dom, and Eli Tanzir III, and Yuri. Um, spoilers, whatever. You, you would have gotten there eventually anyway. Um, <laughs> but you're essentially, like, you're, you're playing through the story with them. You're learning more about the world and the story with them. Um, in Children of Uma, you also have NPCs. You have Croc, you've got Scorpion, you've got a couple other people. Uh, and you learn more about the world by playing with them. So mystery, <clears throat> mysteries are hard, man. Like, I'm mm-hmm. still very new at writing. Uh, George's been writing a lot longer than I have. And I feel like I'm a pretty decent writer. But a mystery is a very, very specific kind of writing. Like, I watch a lot of mystery programs. Like, yeah, I told you before, I'm like watching the Rockford Files right now. But like Magnum, Murder, She Wrote, Poirot. Like, I'm, if there's a procedural mystery, I'm watching it. Mm-hmm. And I think that because there needs to be, you know, subterfuge, there needs to be the reveal and the aha moment. I think it's hard to, and also there's gumshoe. Gumshoe system yeah. does it well. You know, the gumshoe system does it really well. Uh, and I think that knowing that we, like Gio and I, have to tell this story, it's a story that you're playing in and get you to that point and give you that aha or give you that like, oh my God, it's this. Or like, you know, put out the red herrings that you find and then suddenly like, you know, you think it's one thing, it's another. That is I think really hard to convey in the type of games that we make. I mean, we're gonna, we're going to get there eventually. And I want to really bad, but like me personally, I feel like I'm punching above my weight class if I try to do it now. And especially because there is gumshoe out there, which is, which is great. Like it's, it's the perfect system for doing that already. <laughs> so eventually there will be three to one mystery, but not yet. There's, there's a few other things we want to get to first. Yeah. And it's, uh, like you said, Gumshoe is very specifically designed for that type of game. It, it's very combat is almost like not a focus at all. Uh, it's possible in Gumshoe, but it's not, uh, you know, what you're there for. Uh, whereas three to one action is, I mean, it's in the title there. It, action. Yeah. Well, so mm-hmm. when you get to things like horror, yeah, you're gonna be you'll be running away a lot, mm-hmm. like. You know, it, there's still a lot of action, but it may involve you, like, stealthing, hiding, like, trying to figure things out and, like, comprehending how your situation is going to let you survive. Um, so, you know, there is always going to be action, but it might not be, like, you shooting monsters. It might be you running away from the monsters, like, setting a classic Freddy Jones booby trap trying to get the monster to fall into it or, or do whatever like trying to solve a puzzle to escape mm-hmm. you know like when we get to things like heist you know we are work you know eventually we're gonna get to the heist game and like that's gonna be like a lot of stealth that's gonna be a lot of like cool checks and charm checks and and things outside of just shooting at people because you know actions have consequences yeah. so you know when you're racing at top speed trying to you know, commandeer a monster truck and raise some hell, that's one thing. When, like, this this creature is stalking you through, like, wherever you're going to be, that's different. Um, so, you know, we're hoping to extend those types of experiences 
outside of just like walking and killing stuff. Mm. And that being said, you know, you got the rules. If the rules are free. You can tell your own story. Like if you've like, oh, I have this great idea for like a mystery story. I have a great idea for like, you know, this this haunted house story or whatever. The rules are so simple that whatever you need to make work, you can. And you can you can get to these adventures before we can write them. Hmm. There's only two of us. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And this is like Hambone said. This is a very uh, easy system to to hack, as it were, and to you know add things into and and things like that. So if you're looking to really get under the hood of this game and move some things around and you know tear down the Lego house and build yourself a, a Lego robot, you can do that. Yeah, I mean, we just want people to have fun. Yeah. We want, people to, we want people to have fun, and we want people to feel comfortable doing the things that they want to do. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, right, you know, if you look over my shoulder, you see a lot of really tasty RPGs up there. Like, oh, yes. Classics is like a tome. Uh, of different kind of rules and you end up using only like a fraction of that for whatever you're playing in any kind of thing. Like, you know, most D and D books now are like 300 something pages. Um, however, for the average person to see a book like that, to see a book that thick to play a game, it becomes overwhelming. It can be overwhelming. And we want to encourage as many people who've wanted to get into the hobby to have the opportunity to say, Hey, I could do this. And to walk away from any session. And, you know, when you write a set of rules, when you write a game, you are not the one that gets to run this game for everybody. You have to make it in a way that anybody can pick this up and run this game. So we wanted to make it simple enough where anybody who, like, wants to give it a shot as a game runner can feel comfortable doing that. And if you're looking for inspiration, you have spent your entire life, dear viewer, watching TV reading books, comics, movies. It's all right there. Just do whatever. Like, Grounded for Life, you could literally play it to Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Mm-hmm. Easy. Um, but it's something I, I take, I, don't, I know we don't take for granted. I know it's something that we, we genuinely want to express to anyone who wants to try the game. You can do it too. Because you got one dice, you're counting to 10, you're adding one, two, three, you're subtracting one, two, three to the roll. And just tell me what you want to do. So all these games over my shoulder are amazing. They could be a little daunting to a first-time player. Our rule set, I think, is like 20 pages, and the font is like super big because we have special eyes. And uh, everything you need to do is like probably like, if you go to the back of the book, there's a quick play guide. Just follow that. It's one page. You're good. Absolutely. And I will say, uh, you're not going to throw your back out carrying this around yeah. uh, with some dice like you might if you're carrying around all of the D&D books that you may need to do exactly what you're looking to do or the one meaty tome of uh, Dungeon Crawl Classics. Which I love. And mm-hmm. I think if, if we're talking like pure core books, I think like the Dungeon Crawl Classics book is one of the single best RPG tools that I have ever put my hands on. Like, mm-hmm. 
it's perfect. And like, you know what? Good on Goodman Games. Like the entire, like I think last 14 pages is just ads for people who've made games for them. Like, <laughs> I think that's, they, they do, there's such a class act when it comes to the way they conduct their business. And like, I am genuinely happy to spend money on like whatever they put out. But yeah, that, that big old son bitch is awesome. Mm-hmm. That being said, for me, I love the smaller books. That's why we make them A5 size, because yeah. I like the idea that, like, you could put it in your backpack, you could put it in your back pocket if you have big enough pockets. Like, you're not carrying around a lot of stuff to go run and play a game. Or if you want to, like, cuddle up on the couch with a cup of tea or coffee and get comfortable, it's not a big, meaty book that you need to worry about. Like, you kind of, like, just, you could read it with one hand if you need to. Yeah. So I mean, we we like that size. I mean, I, these books are a hundred something pages. They'd probably be like seventy or so if we did them like full size. But you know, they look cool. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's it's kind of been a trend recently to do these like digest size books. I know uh, uh, Spencer Campbell does his books uh, in that size, and I know that uh, uh, the forged in the dark books are usually that size as well they they end up being a little bit thicker because forged in the dark has all those other rules that they throw in there too but uh it's definitely it's definitely been a cool thing to see uh in rpgs this kind of new format of here's a smaller thing that you can carry around you know the, the zines that that companies have been doing recently is a, a similar thing uh so yeah, you know, the- I've heard of my shelf. I think Mork Borg is the same size. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's it's the perfect size book. Yeah, the only issue with them is you stick them there next to your giant books. I don't have uh, the the zine uh, set up very well. Was it you or someone else who had the spinner rack of zines? I did not have the spinner rack. I thought the spinner rack. If I had a bigger, I live in a, a basement apartment, which is mm-hmm. a sweet little apartment but i don't have the room but if i had a spinner rack uh if i had a bigger house i have a spinner rack (laughs) there is um so when you would go to in new so in new york they're called bodegas in new jersey they're called like cigar shops or like you know places where you pick up your newspapers and stuff they'd always have these built into the wall magazine rack so you'd only be able to fit like an issue or two in each but they look really cool kind of going all the way up i mean like and you have like you know your your normal like your women's day you had like your highlights you had like sports illustrated you had like fangoria uh but then the red racks were all for all the pornography and you know they were just kind of it, it was all very tightly thing but they'd always come up to a point where like you would just see like the head of any kind of magazine or the title of the magazine um those are like impossible to find, but they look great if you could. I mean, obviously, like they don't hold a lot of stuff, but they look great if you, you know. I was like looking for them for my old bathroom at my house, so mm-hmm. I could just put them up there, and put all magazines in. However, this is this is something that I think is great for zines. Let me reach over here. I actually happen to have it off screen, so you can get this at Staples, right? I think mm-hmm. this was like ten or twelve dollars. It's got three racks. It's pretty deep. And you could fit and display all your zines in here. And then, like, if I go to do a show, it'll be all three two-in-action zines. But, like, you know, my issue with zines and books this size is that it's easy for them to kind of disappear. But at least there, I'm like, oh, and there's Mothership. Oh, there's a little Brave Little Toaster RPG. It's, like, this big. 
12 boxes staples. No one told me that there was a Brave Little Toaster RPG, and that made me sad. And I'm I'm glad that one exists because I have a mild obsession with those movies. But so this is from uh, Exalted Funeral and Plus One Experience. I'm sure you can find it on Exalted Funeral, but uh, Tony Vicinda, who is Plus One Experience, um, we're sitting there at PAX Unplugged. And he's going through his bag, and he's got all the stuff that he's promoting now. Uh, let me see if I can find some art that I can show you here on the screen. But, like, you know, the Smears home catalog. <laughs> uh, you know, it, small and large NPCs traversing the suburbs. But he's going through his bag, and, like, the stack of these fall out. I was like, what is that? And so it's not the brave little toaster per se. It's mm-hmm. what whatever it has to be for them to be able to, to put those books in the butt. Uh, I was like, I must have this, <laughs> you know, but like, I'm glad I had this rack because otherwise I would have it and I would never look at it again because it's like yay big, but yeah, check it out. Probably exalted funeral. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just, just to let everyone know what's going on in my mind here. Uh, I grew up watching, uh, specifically the brave little toaster goes to Mars over and over again. And a few years ago, it was before I moved to Nashville, before I got married, uh, I, I was preparing for all of that. And I watched all three of them in one day. And by the beginning of The Brave Little Toaster Goes to Mars, when they're showing the montage of the appliances uh, meeting the baby and and you know, learning to uh, accept the baby as their own. I'm just weeping. I'm a grown man weeping my eyes out during this montage. And I'm just like, what's wrong with me? This is the brave little toaster goes to Mars. Yeah, uh, the subtext on all those movies, like you watch them now, forget if you've not watched an American tale and, you know, since you were a child, don't. (laughs) Like, you know, five old goes west. Not any better. Papa? Just, no, like... (laughs) <laughs> These movies are like just meant to land before time. Like you, you think, oh, it's just like this happy little movie. Like you know, then you re- then you actually remember the, the the scarring emotional moment from your childhood. You're like, oh, yeah. This now as an adult that has experienced life, this actually makes me feel so much worse. I'm going to call my therapist now. Like it's it gets you. It gets you so good. Uh, also, side note. Uh, so I, I knew there was a brave little toaster. I knew there was like a brave little toaster too. Up until I bought this book, I had never known that the Brave Little Toaster went to outer space. And I was like, I guess there really was that time when everything was going to space. It's like, well, Mm -hmm. what what do we do for part three? Well, let's go to space. Yep. You already have a talking toaster. What what else can you consider to stretch at this point? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness! I and I can like sing songs from that movie. For some reason, the third one was the one that the library always had on VHS. So I, I was always watching the Brave Little Toaster Goes to Mars growing up, and it's just it's there in my DNA. And you better believe that my my new daughter is going to be watching those movies when she's uh, old enough to comprehend. I love it. So your town was one of those towns that had the uh, the library with the VHS and stuff that you could take out? Yep. So I found out, gosh, there was a little little library in the town I grew up in, and uh cool little library, you know, or, or so I thought. 
because as I got older, I found out that like kids I knew who lived in that neighborhood, as they became like teenagers, a little older, one went there to get something for like a report and they stumbled into this little area that was in the way back and kind of tucked away. And they're like, why are all these movies here? <laughs> so they go up to the front, they go to the front and ask the librarian, like, well, like, have you always had movies here? I'm like, oh yeah, there's always movies here that you could take out. And like, well, how come no one ever told us? And she just like said, the librarian just kind of turned opened up a book and started stamping and just kind of like, cause they, they didn't want, they, they didn't want the whole neighborhood like taking out the, taking out the, the movies, but you know, that I think, well, I think it's so cool that like libraries do that. And had we known when we were younger, I definitely would have rented more movies in the library. Mm-hmm. The, the library VHS rental is how I watched most of John Wayne's uh, filmography. Oh, so. fantastic. oh, fantastic. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, that's good stuff. Mm-hmm. I'll bring it back. So uh, as we're coming up on kind of the end of our time here, I, I want to give you the chance not only to promote the Kickstarter, but anything else you've got coming up. Uh, and obviously, as we mentioned at the top of the show, you do co-host Vintage RPG Podcast. That comes out, is it every Monday you guys put out new episodes? Every Monday. Every Monday, uh, a brand new episode. For the first time in four years, we had to do a repeat episode just recently. You know, just sometimes you just run out of time. But normally, a new episode every Monday. We've been going four years strong. We have Patreon, patreon.com slash VintageRPG. We've got early release episodes, a killer Discord community that we'd love for you to be a part of, and so much more. So you just you black out and you just go there. <laughs> um, the Kickstarter is going strong. Uh, we have funded, I am confident, we are going to unlock mini submania. So if you back our Kickstarter, $20 is the physical tier. Uh, PDFs are $10. $20 is the physical tier. You're going to get a copy of Children of Uma, a physical copy of the rule book, uh, soft cover Children of Uma, a physical copy of the rule book, PDF of the rule book, PDF of Children of Uma, a physical, a physical pamphlet of Ski Quest, a PDF of Ski Quest. And if we can unlock it, a PDF of uh, mini submania as well. Uh, which I think we're like $10 away from unlocking mini submania right now. So we will, uh, I'm going to, going to confidently say you're going to get mini submania as well. So for 20 bucks, you get uh, a whole lot of stuff. Um, Kickstarter is running until theoretically with Kickstarter's hours, uh, Thursday, uh, 10 AM, but back it before then back it. And then don't worry about it. Sleep in on Thursday. I will. Um, we are doing Children of Uma right now. Later in the year, we're going to do another Kickstarter for 321 Horror. We have some other surprises up our sleeves as well, and we cannot wait to share them with the world. And I can tell you the, I'm not going to tell you the title, but the horror pamphlet that I wrote, which is an introduction to the character that will appear in my horror adventure, is some of the proudest I've ever been of anything I've ever written and it was like 1,287 words because it's a pamphlet and you can't fit much if you want art that's I mean that's all I got check out the Vintage RPG podcast please take a boogie on down to uh, Kickstarter and check out and back Children of Uma and you know if you don't have the money that's totally cool just go to 321actiongames.com download the rule book it's free there's a free copy of Grounded for Life on there as well as a PDF Play with your friends, enjoy it, and come back around when you can. That's what I got. Watch Absolutely. Rolling Bones. 
Thank you. And if you are going to listen to uh, Vintage RPG, uh, do stew a favor. Don't skip the Dragon Riders of the Sticks episode. I found that extremely fascinating. That whole thing uh, was just bizarre and fun. Yeah, I learned so much from doing the show that I'm on. Because, like, <laughs> it, I am essentially, I'm, I'm interviewing Stu. And Stu will tell you about all these games. Like, I'll talk about some of my experiences, but, like, really, like, I'm interviewing Stu and bringing the information out of him and going, whoa, because I didn't know all this stuff. But now mm-hmm. I do, and it's fun. Absolutely. So don't let that be, as Stu predicted on the show, the episode that, like, three people listen to. As one of those three people, that is a good episode and essential listening. So, Yeah. It's cool when you find out something that you like liked as a kid, but you finally figure out what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that, a lot of people actually listen to the episode, and people are like very like engaged with it. It's like I oh. had these, so <laughs> absolutely. Well, guys, that is going to do it for tonight's episode of Rolling Bones. Thanks again, Hambone, for coming on. It's always great to have you on the show and talk with you. Uh, coming up next week, we are bringing on. Speaking of Dungeon Crawl Classics, Michael Curtis. He's going to be on here to talk all about his role in DCC, and we're going to spend, I imagine, a lot of time talking about Lankmar, because I love Lankmar, he loves Lankmar, hopefully all of you guys out there love Lankmar as well, and if you have a friend who is really into uh, Fritz Leiber, who for some reason doesn't listen to the show or watch this show, tell him to stop on by, because this is the place for them. So until then, guys, whether you rolled a 1 or a 20, I'm so glad that you rolled your bones with me, Ryan Howard. Give Valor Studios a follow on Twitter. Uh, Drop us a subscribe here on Twitch. Share this with your friends, and I will see you guys next time.